Hello, this is Pam Electric Ghost. You are on the air, um, being recorded. Hey, how are you? We have Katie Lynn. Yes, that's good enough sounding to me. <laughs> um, so you're you're an Afro-Indigenous spoken word artist, and you're from Toronto, Canada, right? Yes, yes. And you've been on Instagram, and I, I've, I've looked at a lot of your um, postings. I have mm. like two of your poems that I pulled um, mm. for when I published the episode um, that I will actually push it on one of my blogger pages. Um, so I didn't know if you wanted to um, talk. We'll talk a, bit, a little bit later. I don't know if you want to recite any of your material during the podcast. If you want to, you can. Yeah, well, I'm interested in what poems that you pulled, which ones that you went for. I pulled one that started. Um, with this uh, statement that it's on your Instagram. So it said, writing gives me such pleasure. I love to ink how okay. that leads to scripture. Mm. And then the other one that I pulled was, I have an acute sense that my time mm. is short and I yeah. have that I'm on borrowed time. So I have that in the images with those and I'm going to be mm. pushing that um, with, with when I publish. But we, we could talk about those two particular poems or you could talk about anything you want um, regarding your, your poetry, but... I sent you a list of questions, so we can get into that if you want to. Yeah, let's go ahead. So when did you start writing poetry? At what age did you get interested in poetry? I started writing poetry um, probably when I was about 16. Um, I was terribly horrible in school. I hated school, but I really took to English class because I loved studying books and when we got to the poetry section of an English class, um, I really liked the poetry, but I never did my homework at all, ever. <laughs> so um, this guidance counselor that was working with me, because I was a troublemaker, she knew that I wrote my own poetry, so she actually uh, talked to the teacher and asked him if if I could submit some of my own personal poetry that would go towards my grade um, because I was unwilling to participate in class but I had a skill for writing my own so that's how I got through that English class but through that experience I realized that I had a knack for writing quite deeply um, emotional and often dark things at a very young age. I was able to articulate those emotions. Were there any particular poets when you were in the English class that appealed to you, that, that got you interested? And when you were taking the courses, were there certain, like, a certain era of poetry that you were into more than another? Uh, yes, Edgar Allan Poe is my one of my heroes. Oh, so you like, you like that Poe. Um, so I, I had actually, you know, part of my music career is I started, you know, writing poems. And I was kind of drawn mm -hmm. to the Victorian period and William Blake and Tennyson were like the ones that I kind of keyed in on. And then also mm -hmm. Langston Hughes um, and some of the, the, the Harlem Renaissance poets. But I initially, before I became a musician, I was doing poetry. Uh, and then okay. I decided to take the poems and convert them into songs, which mm -hmm. is a whole different thing. But um, mm -hmm. I was kind of I loved like Blake and his like songs of innocence and experience and they were kind of very simple structures you know like tiger tiger how fearful thy symmetry but they really 
it kind of spoke yeah. to me more than some of the verbose poetry that you can get into mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. Wordsworth and Tennyson. I, I like the fact that he could be really brief, but kind of like very uh, emotive in his brief, mm-hmm. um, like use of verbiage. And I, yeah. I, and I thought that kind of related to songs. <laughs> mm, there is some, po- there is uh, some, relation between poetry and lyric writing it but I find with the lyrics you of course have to focus a little bit more on rhyming yeah kind of kind of goes um, with the measure of the music the kind of beat forces you to rhyme yeah which is fun to do it's also a challenge to do I have written poems that were rhyme all rhyme um but uh, I tend to, I moved away from that because it was restricting my ability in, um, in the range of words I could play with and use. And yeah, I explore. think when you get more advanced in poetry, you don't have to be uh, on that rhyme yeah, you, meter. You great. can go with other types of structures that are more like I always like Dylan because sometimes Dylan yeah. rhymes, but sometimes he tells stories. I and, love that, and, and he's able to do it. And some places near the melody he'll rhyme it, but in other places he'll have this like this kind of great poetry that he, you know he's written. He's actually he's referencing all these great lyrical lyrical literary giants that he kind of built off of, mm-hmm. and, and he uses all this imagery. But they're always stories, you know. But they're, they're more it's more like 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 a like a novel. <laughs> like a sound yeah. novel <laughs> but um yeah. yeah i understand what you're saying because if you get stuck into that like rhyme structure you you can't do it. and in some places i like to do kind of just abstract um you know kind yeah. of lou reed type you know like you know andy warhol lou reed experimentation back in the 60s like with the velvets they would do a lot of stuff that was just kind of spoken word abstract and and maybe just uh kind of um just stream of consciousness is, is, is something i really like um mm. to to record with this like don't have a set idea just kind of go with the mood yeah but um yeah i mean that's mostly how i operate when it when it comes to writing is um i don't put a little a lot of thought in writing like these ideas just kind of come to me and i will start to scribble them down no matter where I am I carry a notebook wherever I go and mm. it kind of comes to me in a huge flash but each poem I think in total I spend it at minimum like two hours um, some poems have taken me like five hours to, to for it to fully come into fruition but you don't like to keep on going back at it like an epic poem like the Odyssey or something you, you kind of let it come and then you let it go yeah. like a painter yeah like- if you, if you have like this painting idea, you can either stay on it and layer it and layer it for months, or you mm-hmm. can say, well, I'm going to do it in that three hour session, you know? Yeah. And get it out. And, but if some poems, they'll come to me halfway. And if I, if there's a blockage that won't allow me to finish it, um, I just walk away and let it return. Let the incessant ghost return and see if it will communicate with me and allow me to write down what it's trying to say yeah I mean that's kind of what inspiration feels like to me it's like this thing that and all of these ideas will like pop in my head and 
you know, I'll latch on to one. It expresses itself through a poem. Uh, I'll read it back. I have no freaking idea where it came from. Do you and, feel like it's uh, coming? Some people feel like there's like a muse, like a lot of the poets used to feel like they were tapping into this like universal muse. Like even musicians feel like uh, Hendrix used to talk about, like I'm just kind of tapping into the universe, right? So even the guy who invented one of the famous synthesizers is Moog. In all the manuals, when you get a Moog, it says, like, I kind of built this invention because I think I'm pulling things out of the universe. So hearing yeah. an engineer that felt like when he built it, the universe was kind of dictating how he did it. He didn't kind of have exactly the plan. It kind of just fell together. <laughs> yeah, it falls together. And if, it, if, if you don't catch it when it comes it will come back and it will just haunt you incessantly until it's almost as if there's something beyond you that has kind of picked you as its medium to express itself. And yeah. it will get these urges to have a message. And, and that's kind of what it feels like when the ideas come, it feels urgent to me. And so I write it down as quickly as I can and I have to just succumb to it. So you like to put it on on, on an actual physical paper because there's some yeah. people today that that voice record it or they they do it with a computer, but you you like to do it kind of old school, like pen to a diary to a notepad, right? You, you yes. Feel more, you feel more that it's more. It feels more real. It's kind of like when musicians. I put down on tape versus mm. putting down on digital stuff because I feel like like if you put it down on an analog system that's not digital you capture mm-hmm. i use a lot of old type of sense you know organs and 1960s 1970s stuff which is not what people do today they just go on a laptop but mm. i kind of feel like i i have to have instruments that have like organic feel yeah you do if you use like these electronic synthesizers from the 70s and 60s they have character they yes. kind of have a life of their own and when yes. you turn them on you kind of feel the universe talking to you yes from your Hammond or your Moog or yes. your Wurlitzer, it kind of, you tap into it. So I can get what you're saying because I feel yes. that when I'm, when I'm playing my Moog. Yeah, for me, it's like I, when the words are coming to me, I hear the voice. It's a very like powerful voice. And um, it's critical for me. The whole aspect of the energy coming through and flowing down your arm into the pen, through the ink, onto the paper, it's such a part of the process. Like when I post it on Instagram, that is like the end of it. Like I've been here like wallowing in like the. Yeah, you had it on the page and now you put it into the cyberspace and now the whole world can get it you're kind of like musicians where we had it on tape and then we push it out so you can hear it you know i think it's that same feeling i think it's like i think actors get that feeling when they're on stage doing like a play and you know a really good actor kind of has that improvisational skill to kind of Mm -hmm. become the character you know like a method actor you know yeah and the thing too is like when i write like i recently wrote more of a story slash poetry called um the legend of circe which is based on the greek goddess oh cool and i was a little apprehensive about that one because it's a little more racier than i usually would do and uh 
And of course, like some of my favorite authors is I love Edgar Allan Poe. I love James Joyce. Um, I really don't. I like short. He's still there. Oh, what happened? You kind of dropped off. Are you still there? Yeah. Am I here? Yeah, you're back. Sorry about that. Um. Yeah. So James Joyce. I I think I heard the last thing I heard you were talking about James Joyce. Yeah. So I was saying that I really like um, short story authors who um, don't rely on dialogue to tell their stories. Like they're very strong descriptive writers that can really bring the writer, the reader, in and experience the environment as if they were there. Or like narration and yes, you know, without having some some writers are really into dialogue, and yeah, yeah. some are more more narrative writers. I I do enjoy the narrative type. So I was so when I write, it's I feel like the reason why because um, I have to question like why is it that people seem quite drawn to my writing? And I thought it's because I was there. You know, it's when I write. I don't, if I'm writing something sad, um, I'm really writing that with tears streaming down my cheeks. Like I write when I'm in the throes of something very intense. Mm -hmm. And so I think it just kind of, when you, I'm a believer when you authentically pour your heart and your soul into whatever it is that you're doing, people will feel that. They will feel it. Definitely. Because I read other poetry. There's a lot of other people on Instagram and I read a lot of other people's work and some of it, it's like, it's good, but there's something flat about it. I think you got to be willing to show your soul. You know, I think like you you the musician, like if you are not fully honest with the audience, they'll kind of feel it. Like if you're not really given like everything, you know, mm-hmm. like when you get, if you're a musician, you kind of get it like a jazz guy, like I'm into like free, free jazz fusion and you have to kind of really feel it. And you know, when somebody yeah. you play with is not feeling it, because if you're feeling it, you just do, you have to talk. Like if you're with a group of musicians and you guys are all in, in tune, you can just kind of get so into it that mm-hmm. you're kind of like the muse is talking to you, the universe is talking to you, you kind of get in a trance. Oh, and I know. You, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, if you, but if you're kind of like a faker, you're yeah. asking like, what chord chart is that? What key is that? Why do you have to ask that? Exactly. Because <laughs> you know? like, if you feel it, you already know it. <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah, I remember a line came to me recently. Um, you know, if I think about what is what does an artist do? First of all, I think it's the artist's divine duty to express themselves to the world. Um, but I, I, one thing that I like to think about is the artist's job, for me anyways, is to kind of bleed to death in front of your audience. You know, like you, which is kind of dark, but that's how I express myself. But it's like, for me anyways, like I want people to see and feel the, the rawness of my emotion because I want people to just to know that you're fucking human. And this is what humans do. We feel dark stuff. We feel light stuff. And all of it is legitimate and honest. And we shouldn't be repressing anything we feel. 
And so part of me believes that I, if I just kind of bleed myself dry and just show everybody that raw humanity in me, that maybe there's somebody out there that really needs to know this. Yeah, I think that style of writing, you know, you get people, you know, my opinion, like, like growing up, like I listen to Kurt Cobain, you know, you listen to like Neil Young, they used to be really thread bare, you know, you, you're yeah. showing like everything, like Neil Young on Tonight's the Night, you know, back in the 70s, that was considered very personal, raw work. And he's talking about the deaths of some of his bandmates from heroin overdoses. And mm-hmm. a lot of the songs are him like almost sounds like he's going to cry. You know, it sounds like he's like, he, the, the keys are kind of not solid. He's kind of very raw. Yeah. It's not as, as polished as his Nashville stuff. And it's like, it's on purpose to be that raw. And a lot yeah. of like punk people, a lot of punk players or people got into post-punk or things that were more raw, like grunge, kind mm-hmm. of looked at Neil and saying, wow, he really showed the way of how you could be a famous guy like that. Guy Crosby still is Nash. He had, can do beautiful voices, but could actually get very raw mm-hmm. and, and raucous and actually reveal something that's like that's the dark side of music I mean talking about drug overdose he's not talking mm-hmm. about like oh I love this girl you know, mm-hmm. I'm in love with this he's talking about people who are dying you know yeah. and I, I, I so I totally get that I've always kind of been drawn okay like Lou Reed talking about yeah, like waiting for the man you know he's talking about like Venus and furs he's talking about like S&M and all this crazy stuff in, in the velvets and and people say what is that why why are you drawn to that but because like you don't want to just hear pop songs all day. Sometimes you want to hear people kind of pushing it. So I, I get it. I get what you're saying. I feel like he was probably likely it was legit, you know, like he had repressed and uh, uh, grief and it was self-healing. And yeah. as an artist, it's like, there's nothing better than, Spilling your guts for an audience, honestly. Do you, do you feel it's <laughs> cathartic? You know, do you feel like doing oh, yeah. art is cathartic? Like to me, a lot of musicians I talk to, we do what we do because it is like we're talking to our therapist, you know. Yes. And and, and even if it doesn't make money, we still do it because you know, we'll go play anywhere. You know, a lot of musicians I know, they're really into music. They don't care about the money, they'll just work with anybody, go play anywhere. Yep. Because it's just because it's the feeling. Well, it's, keep, it's, it's keeping me alive to be honest yeah to be honest like I have dealt with darker like I I have dealt with like suicidal issues I have struggled with that throughout my life and I can honestly say there's been at least two times when poetry has saved my life and so I am a believer that art is it is like the authentic healer of, for the human spirit. Yeah, I feel sorry for people who don't have that creative capability to kind of mm-hmm. get them out of that place. Because like, I think sometimes, they, you know, some people hit the wall and they don't know how to get out of it. And it, a lot of the creative people I deal with, they've told me the same thing you just said. You know, I've, I've been a musician for like 30 years. And mm-hmm. I've run into guys who have hit that wall and, you know, going and playing the blues or playing jazz or playing a you know, whatever they play, it got them out. It, it kept them from going there. Yep. Because 
that's one thing that where the light was, you know, where mm-hmm. they felt they could they could they could go to a place in New Orleans, get into a small club play, and it made them feel better. You know, it made them actually exercise their demons. You know, yep. and that's that's kind of what it's all about to me. <laughs> it was interesting earlier when you were saying about you know it's a lot of artists experience as kind of like tapping into like the collective unconscious. Yeah. And I did write a poem where I was legit, like uh, felt like the universe was talking through me. It was actually one of the most insane moments of my little short existence so far. Um, But I later come to recognize it is not so much as like a collective unconscious, but it's almost as if I'm tapping into like a higher version of myself. Yeah, I think sometimes it is like sometimes you're actually tapping into your subconscious, or you're like you're like you're. Everybody has like their selves. You know, if you get into different ideas and like the id and the ego and the super ego, and then mm-hmm. the, you could then these things that I'm a part, you know, Cherokee Blackfoot, and there's ideas that you could tap into like your spirit animal. You could yes. tap into this other thing that is part of you, but it's part of the universe too. And when you kind of are free, you know, like when you become free and you don't let yourself like put, put walls on yourself, then you can tap into that. Yes, and, you're and right. It's part of you yeah. and it's a part of the universe as well. Yeah, I, I think, think all these great musicians actually can tap into that. And I think all creative people, actually actors and people like yourself, poets, actually tap into that yeah it's part of the whole process is i think what sometimes i get frustrated when i see musicians that are more mechanical or yeah. more robotic in their structure and i'm like where are you tapping to you know well i'm kind of they're just stuck on the grid or they're stuck on the, uh, the kind yeah. of like very anal retentive type of things and they're not it's like where's yeah. where's, your, where's your real passion coming from well, here's the yeah. thing, too. I've been kind of merging into, like, short film. And uh, the thing is, the little films that I make, like, the latest film that I did is quite radical because it breaks all the rules and basically is like a middle finger to all of the technical rules and that are out there for filmmaking and maybe even what's acceptable to show in filmmaking Um, But in studying films, I noticed that there's a lot, and this is probably the same with musicians, there's a lot of them that technically they've got it made, right? Like they know the rules, they know how to play, they know how to, like in film, you know, they know how to edit, they know when to do the climax and arc and and all this stuff. But like, ultimately, the story falls kind of mundane and dry. It's like, technically, it's awesome sounds great it looks great but there's no substance to the story there's something that's yeah. is not there but i think that's why i was always drawn to like you know hitchcock i was drawn to to you know to like the you know the third man you know some of these great classic films like if you go citizen kane you know orson Welles. yeah Just because definitely. Of what, what what he could do and if you look at yeah. orson Welles' films and there's a lot of passion in the way he did it, and mm-hmm. and it's like it's like very it's super artistic. Yep. In the, in that you know he's trying whether or not he was trying to make money wasn't the really thing. He's trying to express art at a high level. 
Yeah. Anytime you see somebody who's who's trying to express art at a high level, initially what happens is people say, well, you're not supposed to do that. You know, like Hendrix, they told me, you're not supposed to use feedback. You're not supposed to do this. You're not supposed to do that. I mean, he ended up going in the studio most of the time and kicking the recording engineer out because they weren't capturing his sound. Because he was doing sound that was like, well, that's not actually right. You're making all these sounds that like, all the recording engineers said, what's well, going beyond the levels? It's not what we're supposed to do. And, and he's, you know, he's the king of that. And, and yeah. you, 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 when you're in that zone where you're like a Coltrane or Miles Davis or Sunra, you're a musician and you're pushing the envelope, you get all these, all this resistance because yeah. like you're not doing what was done before and people don't know how to handle it. <laughs> but I think that's a good place to be. I think it's always good to be pushing it. <laughs> it's a very, um, for me, when I feel if there are kind of restrictions or laws being placed on my art, it, it actually feels quite oppressive to me. And it's not a good feeling. Definitely not a good feeling. Like I feel almost like I go into like flight or flight mode when, when I feel like something is kind of pressing down on my self-expression. Yeah. I think there's a lot of, lot of, a lot of places today where, you know, people, you know, you think we'd be more free because of all these elements of um, social media, but there's still a lot of like barriers and a lot of walls that people put up or a lot of rules that people, even like in a type of music, like EDM, EDM has a structure, it has a drop, right? And it, yeah. people, people are like, well, you got, where's the drop? Well, <laughs> well, you know, well, maybe this isn't exactly EDM. Maybe this is sliding into trance or side trance or something else. Or maybe I'm throwing elements of jazz in it so it doesn't have it. And they're like, oh, we can't put that in this genre. <laughs> Man, I, I get that drop, though. Like, people are just addicted to that drop. I get yeah, the yeah. drop. I know. Yeah so, yeah. so if you're trying to like branch out, it was like, where is it? It's like a disco. If you don't have that disco beat, it's not disco, you know? So, so it's like the, within genres, you have like rules. And if somebody's yeah. in a genre trying to push the rule, then, then you get resistance. You know? uh, yeah. And the thing too, is it, when I, when I first, especially when I branched off with the first little short film I did, it was, which is just a poet, it's just me doing poetry reads. So basically I just turned my poetry in for the dialogue. So it's kind of like a trippy dreamscape because it's like, nobody's talking real language. It's just like poetry language. But it, you know, the thing is, is when you do things that are very radical or pushing the limits is it does limit your audience because not everyone's going to be interested in, in things that they experience as strange. But I realized like, no, that's actually a great thing because it means that the people who are actually experiencing your art really enjoy it because there's a lot of people who just follow art for the sake of following art, but they don't actually, I think maybe it's cool for them to do it. Um, Yeah, it's it's good to be, I don't know, I've always been kind of an independent musician where, you know, my, my audience is like, you know, the way my audience is running with my music is like under a hundred thousand hitting the hundred thousand. And in that zone, you're like labels are like, you can only get into small labels. Mm. I've I've dealt with smaller labels that can handle that, but you get the bigger labels. They're like, well, you got to be able to reach 500 to like 2 million to 3 million. So it's like you purposely, if you stay within like what you believe in, 
you, yeah. you, you, you limit your audience. But in some ways yeah. today, my audience is like worldwide. I got people all over the world who listen to me. So mm-hmm. that hundred thousand like spread out. And so. And, yeah, and you so know like, that they really, really like your thing. And that to me is what's most important. It's like, I don't have as many people, but like the people who do enjoy my work really enjoy the work. And that's what keeps me going. Yeah, I think that's the core is like any artist is like, are you doing it to, to be like a musician? Like, are you doing it to be in the top 10 or are you doing it to make something beautiful? Yes. Right? So if you're doing it something to be beautiful, that song could be like in the bottom 600. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, eventually like a music magazine might say, well, this is a great piece of work. Mm-hmm. And there's tons of examples like the Velvets, like Lou Reed and the Velvets were not really appreciated in their time. You know, just like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, just like William Blake wasn't appreciated in his time. There's there's many bands that suddenly people go back and rediscover them and say, wow, they were great. You know, uh, and, and, and sometimes people believed in what they were doing and then somehow the audience finds them, you know, and there's lots of examples of writers and poets and musicians that, you know, they weren't big in their time, but because yeah. they believed in that work, they gets in the canon anyway. Um, so it, you, you, sometimes it's not like going to happen all in the time that you wanted it to happen, but you just, you believed in it and you just did the work. Uh, my favorite, like, uh, as far as like musical artist story is the classic is Mozart. Mozart. I love his story because same thing he was doing like a lot of what would have been like the commercial sound at the time in classical music mm-hmm. and he just got extremely bored with it and so he experimented and everybody was saying to him like this is nobody's going to listen to this they actually considered his pieces to sound ugly yeah i heard i read that too um, and it's because he liked to, like most of the pieces were like more about making you feel good. And his um, sounds, he liked to explore like anxiety. He was very attracted to that emotion. And so he liked to create like this tension in his music where it kind of started, went up into like almost like a frantic state. So it's yeah, like each, yeah. yeah, it was like it was a journey chaos. of like, anxiety and people were like nobody wants to sit and experience anxiety but what I've learned as an artist is it's like no actually people do want to experience they do want to read those dark things they're drawn to it because yeah yeah, I I totally get it because like method actors like Al Pacino like Dog Day Afternoon that kind of frantic kind of I don't know if you've ever seen it but he was like this very frantic thief and he was just like very chaotic in his performance and it's like it's not pretty but it was real you know Mm -hmm. you get that kind of method acting with you get the great method actors you know harvey keitel you get you know you know you get these guys that would would just like bear themselves and and it's it's raw and sometimes unwatchable or it's like it's actually hitting a nerve and it's not comfortable but that's where where the director wants you to go yeah. They want you to be uncomfortable. They want you to kind of like, oh, I don't want it to be like, you know, Oklahoma. It's not going to be pretty, you know. <laughs> it's it's going to be yeah. something that's more substantial. And some people either are drawn to that or they, they're like, oh, I don't like that, you know, but make them think too much about things they don't want. Yeah, <laughs> it depends on how rep- how much they've repressed those, those same 
feelings in themselves. That's what's happening. It's that they are relating to it unconsciously and it makes them extremely uncomfortable because they're kind of denying it in themselves. And this is kind of forcing them to feel and confront the monster within. And it's not a fun or pleasant experience, but it's human. Yeah. yeah I think the human part of it, like a lot of people, like even in this time of COVID, I've, I've talked to a bunch of artists that are going to get very serious Mm-hmm. with what they want to do and mm-hmm. then other artists are like well i'm doing the opposite i'm making very light more because they want to project a better place that's more you know not as dark right so they they're trying to project that and the, the, i see mm-hmm. artists go either way and they okay i'm going to use this to get real serious i'm going to use this to actually create something like like a soul song that has a lot of groove, like a funk song. Mm. So you could do a funk song, and it's a really dark time, but you could put all your 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 frustration and angst into that funk, and mm-hmm. do like a James Brown, you know, like heavy funk groove or a Parliament funkadelic groove. And in itself, that's a lot of art to do that. And and then he's like, well, I'm going to try to make people happy with that groove. Yeah, and that's I, true. I, so I can get that, and I've seen people kind of translate it in different ways. You know, as musicians, you can kind of yeah. go in different different ways to do it. Hmm. I'm all about pulling people down into the depths. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's where I take them. Well, you can get into kind of like a fusion thing with Coltrane, where you got into like discordant notes, where you hear like some jazz. You'll if you're getting like free jazz and fusion jazz, they get into these like discordant like thing solos they're like the notes are not in a melodic way they're kind of jarring they're kind yeah. of chaotic and, and, and if you get into free jazz it's like there's a lot of stuff going on that's not it's in you know it's not melodic it's actually like anti-melodic it's being done mm-hmm. in a frenzy or it's done in off yeah. keys on purpose and, yeah, and it has favorite. the same effect as what you're saying and it's brilliant in some ways when you're able to mm-hmm. do that and convey that and then kind of you know, pull into a full piece of music and, and control the chaos, you know? Yeah. If you can control that chaos and make it work, then mm-hmm. that, that becomes a brilliant piece of work, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, if you think like that's, that's what the artist is as, as a medium is that, you know, you are pulling these, this expression from the universe which is quite a chaotic place and that's what you're doing you're like taking this chaotic idea and you're channeling it through and like placing it out into reality in a very like articulate way which is I mean to me like that's that's when you know when you've really got an artist is that when they're able to articulate the chaos yeah, there's well, a lot of people yeah. who don't know what's going on in their minds and certainly can't articulate things that are going on in their heads, you know? <laughs> well, that's where you kind of get the, I've always been into the stream of consciousness. Like I would say like 80% of my lyrics, I would just go into my studio and just stream of consciousness, something over, you know, or just sit at the piano, do chord structures and just have the open mic and it let whatever comes out. And I go back and I listen to it and then I work on it. And, mm. and I kind of, and I found there's a lot of artists that do that because it's like, if you sit, a lot of times if you sit and try to plan a song out, you would be like, oh, it's like, you know, in my case, I, the way I write is like one, 
one out of ten of those is actually going to turn into anything. Most of my mm. stuff is created from like jam sessions <laughs> and, mm. and, and and going back and just like perfecting you know that chaos. You like going and doing something live on purpose and recording it and then refining it because if you go live then you have to kind of like deal with it like you can yeah. you can't go back and fix it and so being being a musician if you force yourself to get into live situations you you get better you know you learn how to how to handle that instead of having to go back and replay it replay it and do it again you just learn how to kind of bounce off of your mistakes <laughs> interesting you know, it gives you a different way of doing it. I, I, I found over years when I was younger, I would sit and try to compose and I did it. And then I said, well, you know, I like more f- a free way of doing it. And I found mm-hmm. it's a, the kind of free form way of doing it and it has a better result. It feels more honest. Yeah. And it will come through like the audience will feel that honesty and that freeness, you know, because you can tell when lyrics are coming from the heart. Yeah, I can feel that with what you're saying because you like to you seem to to write in that same manner as a poet. You let it yeah. come come to you, and I, I think that's a, you know, I used to go. I used to live in uh, Northampton, Mass, and uh, there were all these like poetry jam clubs where you could just go. And before I became a musician, I used to go and just do free form poetry. Oh, nice! And and just uh, and I actually published some work, but. In, in when I was in my twenties, but yeah, I would just go to this fire and water cafe and just, just read off this kind of, you know, it was a pro poetry slam. And, you know, this was like in the nineties and uh, we just go and, and all these art, 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 art kids from like Hampshire college and Smith and, and, you know, Amherst and all these colleges were all hanging out in there and they were all there, you know, reading Emily Dickinson and reading Thoreau and Tennyson and coming in there and mm-hmm. trying to free form it. Or reading the the Harlem Renaissance and getting into other things, and yeah, it was just kind of cool to be with people who were in that kind of space, you know. Yeah. Do you do like before COVID? Were you doing like live poetry poetry sessions? I have not been doing a whole lot of those, and I can't wait for the COVID to get over with, so we can get back to normal and just be able to start diving into because it's like you said with the COVID thing when the, all the lockdown stuff happened I'm like one of those artists that was like that's it I'm going all in on my talent mm-hmm. and so I can't wait for the world to switch back on so I can dive in there and get on the stage and just start belting out these words so where would you do that once it opens up where, where would be your be your your do you have like an artist community where you could do that? Yeah, there's a lot of different venues in Toronto. We have a really popular bar called Poetry Jazz where a lot of artists will go and and it's I think I'll give that a shot. Um, audiences freak me out a little bit. I do have I do have Asperger's and I yeah. have uh I find like the crowds, it really makes me freeze up. And there's like one issue with Asperger's where you can lose your train of thought. And so whenever you feel like too much anxiety, it is like your brain just shuts down and that's it. Like, so would the online, online, like using Instagram or using online media, would that work, that work better for you? 
um, yeah, that, I think so. Can you could control it more? Yeah, because you're. It's kind of like more. You're well. You're with by yourself. You know. Yeah, yeah. And and it's just you and that in that relationship you have with the camera. But you could actually get you know thousands of people you know seeing you, but you feel you don't feel that weight uh, like when you're an audience. We have an audience. You know, it's, the audience is there, but you don't feel the weight like a musician. Like if I play a live show, which I do from my from my from my studio. I don't get that interaction that, you know, musicians, we kind of feed off the crowd. So like yeah. if I play a show in New York, there's a feel that you get like in Manhattan or in the Bronx from that crowd. And it actually contributes to how you play. And if you're just totally by yourself in your studio, you don't have that feedback. And we kind of mm-hmm. live off of that feedback to do some of our performances. Is it, you know, it's a different thing where you don't have that feedback. You have to kind of pull it from yourself. <laughs> yeah and it's you know some musicians have a harder time doing like a solo performance from their home because they really need that crowd and then other musicians mm-hmm. like i don't really need the crowd i'm kind of i have all this stuff inside i can still do it and yeah so yeah. you feel like it seems like you could solitude is really great for me i um the audience will be great um it will be very intense for me because uh, I have to get myself into a very interesting place in order to bring the art forward. And so I have to be very, very brave, basically. Yeah. Because I'm, as far as I'm concerned, I'm just standing up there naked uh, with my soul just completely raw. So, so I think... Yeah. The thing with the artists too is in the artists that really go deep, you have to be very brave. You have to be very comfortable with yourself and brave to allow yourself to go to sometimes the edge, you know? Well, that's where some artists, they put up like masks. You know, there's some artists that they create stagecraft where they kind of create this other version of themselves. And I've seen yeah. it, like, I've seen artists that are, like, if you talk to them off stage, they're nothing like their stage person. Like, oh, when they get on stage, they come become this other person. You know, and a good example mm-hmm. with, like, Prince. Prince could jump on stage and be this very dynamic, extroverted, totally, you know, wow, he, he's real confident. But you actually try to talk to him. Mm-hmm. He could, you could hardly, he's super shy very reserved you could get hardly anything out of him um but on stage he didn't seem like that and Mm. and in the interview bowie bowie created all these characters that were like not really him but it allowed Mm. him to to treat it like he was being an actor and a lot of musicians have learned into this kind of thing where they create this other version of themselves that can be kind of hypersexual or hyper this and they just they and it's not it might not really be them but it's, it, it makes them feel more comfortable because they're putting it on like a show. There's, it's like they're being a method actor and they're getting into that character and they're able to kind of make that work because they feel like it's, it's like a different part of themselves. Interesting technique. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I've seen other artists and well, I'm just going to play it straight like like like, like the Allman Brothers. Like, I'm just going to go on stage and that's me. <laughs> that that's who I am, you know, and 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 that's that's cool. I mean, it, 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 so it depends on like w- where you are. Is there some artists that kind of take that theatric capability and create masks for themselves, 
In other words, it's, well, I just want to go up there and be like a, like a, an acoustic musician on a, on a guitar. And that's me. I'm a singer songwriter and that's me, you know, and, and I'm just going to be comfortable with that. Like we're a James, James we're a, <laughs> a peculiar bunch artist. Peculiar. No, no one right way. It's kind of the right way for you. You know, mm. like when you get, you figure that, that rhythm, when you start doing shows, you know, I, I did my first show in New York, like, like four years ago. And I didn't know how the audience was going to deal with what I do because I play female characters with like vocoders. And I'm a guy, right? And, I'm, and I went to this club with like very heavily hip hop crowd. And I didn't know how they were going to take a female voice coming from, my, from me on stage. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I was like, I didn't know if they were going to be like, like, like get violent or being get, you know, can you never know? Cause some clouds, yeah. like, I don't, they don't like that. And, um, but the interesting thing was a lot of the guys that were in there that, that were all six pack abs and all muscled up, they they came back to me and they said, Well, I really like the stuff you're doing. Can I can you work as my producer? So they like they had they had a mask. And their kind yeah. of kind of machismo thing was kind of a mask. Yeah, yeah it was. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense to me, right? Because it's the same thing I was saying where like if you think about it what are like some of the most popular shows on tv it's like true crime series and like all of this dark stuff and why is that it's because we are not able to act out a lot of those things so we repress it but we unconsciously are drawn to it in our form of entertainment and so these macho guys they are repressing the feminine side of themselves and so that causes them unconsciously, whether on the surface they would like to or not, to be very drawn to your expression, not even probably knowing truly why. It's because the feminine side of themselves is being drawn to that. You're giving voice to something that they're hiding. Yeah, I was, I was really surprised and I had so many people, I thought they were going to immediately be, you know, like saying get the heck out of here and and, and you know because i i was i'm very experimental what i'll do and and it was so cool to feel that mm. these the all these people were actually into what i was trying to do with the music and yeah it makes sense and, to me. but but yeah it just shows you like like the outward representation of a lot of artists is not exactly what what it is <laughs> yeah because humans we're all kind of like a bunch of hypocrites <laughs> It's yeah. like for everything you say you don't like, like that's exactly what you desire the most. Well, if you protest too much, I'm going to think maybe that's really what you want. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Actually, I would say it's a fact, you know, like if somebody's making a big deal out of something, that's exactly the direction. It's probably exactly where they want to be. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that's been my experience. But so, yeah, it's interesting because I, I just feel you know, I didn't like my male voice when I was doing mm. my music and I, I used all this electronic capability to kind of change it. And I said, well, you know, I'm not just going to use an auto-tune. I'm actually going to create a character. And and I started creating, you know, characters kind of like I got into what you know, David Bowie's like Ziggy Stardust and um, Princess Camille were kind of in inspiration. They're like, oh, wow. And even like George Clinton had like Sir Nose. It, they, they there were a bunch of artists that was like used like electronic voice coder or vocal synthesizers to to create characters 
And I said, mm-hmm. well, I, I like that idea because then I can kind of dive into things that I would no, normally not do and have a different perspective in what I was doing, kind of tap into my feminine inside. My poetry had been going that way. And mm-hmm. I said, well, you know what? I'm going to create Josephine Electric. And she is the feminine part of me. And mm-hmm. she represents like what I feel in that way. And yes. so that's what I I've been doing and it, it was it, it got bigger than I thought it would get. <laughs> it, I absolutely it did. You know, I'm a lot of my poetry apart from it coming from something higher than myself, it's filtered through my own personal interests. So I'm super into philosophy, super into psychology. And so a lot of the things that I write are, of course, all these things have influences and there's a lot of depth. Like some of the reasons why my poetry is so dark is because I have become very schooled in depth psychology, which is um, pioneered by Carl Jung. And Carl Mm -hmm. Jung um, says that within each of us, we have the anima and the animus. So, you know, I have a repressed uh, masculine unconscious and you have the repressed feminine unconscious called the anima. And mm-hmm. it's his belief. And then we have another side, like our shadow side. When you are able to integrate and find balance between and a harmony between the feminine and masculine side of yourselves, anything you express through that mirror side, that opposite is going to be incredibly powerful. So like whenever, if I'm writing my poetry or doing my readings and channeling that masculine side in me, that's going to come through very powerful. And for you, it would be like when you're channeling your anima, it's very, it's actually, I'm glad that you're doing it because it tells me that you have reached a, a nice balance within yourself like it's a very it seems like you could have reached a relatively healthy state yeah I kind of found it like six years ago and like I said I I was writing poetry that was expressing it and then I actually found I was playing with this vocal synthesizer from Roland and I was like and I was like I would I had never really done vocals I had always mm-hmm. been just a guy playing boards, you know, playing keyboards and, and bands and not being the lead singer. And I, I had all these ideas and I didn't know how to do it. And I said, well, maybe, you know, I, I was just playing with a synthesizer and I found my, this Josephine voice, which was me. And I was mm-hmm. like, wow, I can use that to, to match what I was doing with my writing. And then I just had this epiphany and I just, suddenly all this started coming out. Like mm-hmm. like it's, it's free form, and I was like, "Wow!" It's like I kind of like a method actor. I get into her character, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it just just comes out. I mean, some of these songs just write themselves, and I just didn't. Yeah, it just happens. And it's weird, it's weird, but I, I tapped into it. And I said, "Well, you know, I'm not gonna st- I'm not gonna get scared of it. Just no. let it. Let it go. I just let it it's... be what it was." <laughs> no, I'm actually gonna say congratulations that you not only tapped into the anima and are giving her her expression see and for me it's the other way around because I am the feminine and so my issue was kind of like I had the creativity coming in from that feminine side but I would kind of get lost and drowned in it 
And then I discovered my, the animus, the masculine side that really kind of balanced me out and gives me that kind of stability and, and kind of infuses me with the ability to take that swirling kind of chaotic energy and be able to channel it in a solid and strong way. And so, and it's only been quite recently that I have started to tap into the masculine. So, and I noticed like, as soon as I did, my poetry has taken a turn for the better. It's become more powerful as those two sides of me fuse, right? Yeah. I think like when I found Josephine, my stuff, my work got better. Yeah. The songs I wrote pre-Josephine don't match what I do with with the Josephine voice, you know, and and the performance of my music is not what it was, you know when it increased like exponentially the, my fan base uh and it, you wouldn't think that would happen but it's like it did and it's like i i tapped into something like you say and it's like it just got stronger my playing got stronger i got more focused i got happier about what i was doing and i think that I, yeah. I think i found what i wanted to do i found musically where i wanted to go and uh, i think yeah i just I'm just kind of like getting into that and I can feel like something starting to take off at this point um but it just came to the point where it's like you you know with the whole gender roles and it's like I'm supposed to be really feminine supposed to be really masculine but it's like even though I'm feminine I just got to a point like I couldn't deny that there is a very strong masculine side of myself that would end up getting triggered a lot in certain situations where I would become like, Oh, it like, it would overcompensate Mm. when the other side of me was feeling quite vulnerable. And so I've only now kind of opened the door and kind of let this force in. And it's funny that you named yours Josephine, because for whatever reason, I decided I would call um, my masculine side, Jack, (laughs) (laughs) because, this side of myself, he's very, like, kind of douchey, like, super macho guy, you know, like, and I thought, like, Jack's a good name for a dude like that. Yeah, I've kind of gotten into this idea that, you know, that my, jo- Josephine's alpha dominant. She's like, she, she, she is, like, like, a type A personality, but then she has vulnerability, but then she kind of mm-hmm. hides it and 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 being having this bravado and she's very strong mm. and you can kind of imagine her being a dominatrix and like whipping a ceo oh, <laughs> and then like having him lick her boot you know but but it's like but the idea that it, then sometimes she might actually be a little vulnerable but not appear to be vulnerable and i've kind of did this idea where i have have her kind of cross that kind of feeling that anybody gets feels like they're assertive or maybe they don't feel assertive if they get into a situation with a person that triggers them in a way so if they get to a person that triggers mm-hmm. that their kind of weakness or where where they don't feel confident um then you kind of explore that so you can kind of explore between being confident and not being confident and being assertive and not being sort of being like the person that'd be kind of under the boot or person that's putting the boot on somebody and 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 i try to feel that from from you know something will trigger an idea or or an image and i'll work on that and that's kind of what i've grown with my characters and people who listen to my music can kind of 
here. That's where I, where the direction I go. But I also bring politics mm. into it. I bring other things into it. So I'll, I'll, I'll actually make you know statements like a Dylan type of thing where I like I like that kind of song craft. So I try to mix this kind of psychosexual thing with political electronic music and progressive jazz and other things and, and call it expansive sound. That's that's kind of where it where it came from. But. That's cool. Yeah, we we have a similar style in a way. It's just that mine is the same. It is kind of sharing that feminine masculine energy within the art. And then mine kind of brings in all kinds of crazy shit, like quantum mechanics. I'm really into super into psychology. So how, I will... how did you get into quantum mechanics? What, what made you what made you get into that? Uh, I've always had a very deep interest in like the nature of reality. And it kind of leads you in that direction because I want to understand what reality was at like the submolecular level, which is the quantum mm-hmm. level. And it's just stranger than fiction once you get to that level of reality. That's really I'm a big sci-fi, you know, Harlan Ellison, Ray Bradbury, Ben Bova. I mean, I, I'm a Trekkie, you know, I, I kind of was into a lot of, yeah, I'm a too. stuff was like a big part of like me growing up. Is like I'm, I'm a, in my day job. I'm a techie nerd. I'm an I'm an information technology programmer. That lets me, you know, forward my toys. Um, but but oh, but, but nice. um, yeah. So it's just uh, it's interesting that, that that you bring that up. You're probably the only person I've heard bring that up uh, in all the interviews I had in the last few years. So that's cool. They they they. they Oh, really? That's so funny. Yeah, I have pretty niche interests that are very weird and obsessive at times, but it keeps me busy. I have a lot to read. And the thing is, is a lot of the theories are quite abstract and hard to understand. So you end up having to read them several times and then you still don't quite mm-hmm. get it. Um, but I like that intellectual challenge. Well, I think it's good as an artist to get challenged, you know, to, to get into something that you know is not exactly your comfort zone i think that's how you develop at, at any art form if you take on something that you're not fully you know an expert at then 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 you tend to get you know you take that and as a reference point it becomes part of your your kind of your toolkit as an artist you know you like if you just stay in in the comfort zone then you might stay in like a form of 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 your art and not progress you know, Ugh, you'll die. I'm so glad that we talked about the your Josephine because it literally, if I take anything from this conversation, that has been at least the one thing that I had to hear this evening. Because I find too, as a journey with an artist, there are times for me personally where I'm like, am I? I'm legit going crazy. I think, you know, it's like if I tell people that I believe there's like a masculine side in myself and I, his name is Jack. Like there are a lot of people who wouldn't understand that and think yeah, that yeah, you're quite yeah. odd or possibly well, schizophrenic that, or I, something. I, I, I had, you know? I, at one point I had worked with a collaboration and, and somebody I was working with, they understood I was doing Josephine, but they thought it was kind of like a, it was like a trick they thought it was just like a, me trying to do some kind of like, um, you know, what do you call it? A, like a, just a gimmick. And, 
And when they actually yeah. got to know me more and they realized it wasn't a gimmick, they kind of got fearful. <laughs> and they, they, they felt uncomfortable. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, even, not even as an artist, just like in my personal relationships, especially with men, I find that they are, they, it's almost as if they have an attitude that they'll take the feminine side and they really want to discard the more edgier mm. masculine side of me. Um, but the beautiful thing about it now is that now that I'm learning how to integrate those two sides, I'm able to give the masculine side life and voice through my art. And this entity is not feeling like it needs to go somewhere else for the time being. And I think it comes through in the sense that people, the way that my feminine masculine comes through is really black and white, honestly, either I am, you know, I'm a very raw mm -hmm. and vulnerable person. Um, um, but at the same time, I will tear you apart if you give me a reason to. And I think a lot of people want to, I've had a lot of people say, oh, you just have a tough front. You know, that's not really you. It's just something you're doing to protect, you know, deep inside you are vulnerable. And I'm thinking maybe that's true. And then I realized, no, I'm both. Yeah, it's hard for people to handle when you're both. Because <laughs> people want you to be like yeah. one way or the other. I, I, think every, I think everybody's a shade of, they do. Of, shade of white and black, you know, and in between and i think it kind of goes moment to moment and uh and uh, it's just it's hard for some people they want people to be you know oh you know blue is for boys and pink is for girls and they want it to be rigid and and they don't understand yeah. and you know it, it was weird like i said I'm in, I'm in my 50s right and i was very drawn to when prince created camille and had this kind of androgynous thing going on and I just like I understood mm -hmm. it, and I didn't know understand why I understood it. A lot of other, my guy friends were like, "Oh, why is he doing that stuff? It's like it's too, it's too like too much for them. They couldn't handle it, right? Like they they're like, why is he doing that? Why why is he why? Is he? Yeah. Well, you know, because that's what he's feeling. And <laughs> I, I kind of like I I kind of recognized it in myself that that kind of androgynous thing that was actually more than just androgyny. It was actually this other part of me. Um, and it's just like some people just yeah. can't handle it, you know. But yeah, that's what I've been experiencing. So I'm glad that my art, once again, like always, is compensating for what I have am unable to establish in my real working relations with people, accepting me as a whole being which is a well, I think you know, everybody's art you know as a creative person your art shows like a window into your soul and as more people see who you are you tend to find people who have like like ideas or like you know so then That's you get true. your community you know I've been able to find a community of like artists that that understand where I'm coming from and it's really more the art community that understands me than the financial community or the business community. <laughs> like, I have to have a mask yeah. for, for that.
because they 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 can't they can't handle yeah I get that creative world right <laughs> but um so you it's kind of like yeah. you know you kind of know where where you need to be it would be cool if you could be that everywhere um but you know where I have to work with certain folks I can't do it because they have certain political agendas but um and they're not they don't make it comfortable so you have to kind of work within that construct but um yeah I would rather just be in my creative zone with my creative friends but you know in order to survive I have to do kind of both um and that's kind of the, yep. the world you have to be in where you know it's not ex- exactly what you want it to be but as an artist we're trying to I think you try to build your world as an artist you know you try to build that that universe yeah. where then suddenly you get acceptance and you get that that fan base and you get the people who understand you and and you know in the best of all worlds you can just do that 100 percent of the time and that's where i think we all try to go but it, it, you know the world doesn't let us all do that <laughs> yeah that would be yeah i think that when you get to that point where you actually can execute your ideas and actually live comfortably and and feel like they that way yeah that's oh like God, the, that my ultimate good. goal is one way or the other like you know build a studio and get like-minded artists to to record in a fashion where i can just work with the creative people all the time or, or you know do this podcast where it gets mm-hmm. bigger and, and it's been getting bigger um from where i started and you know we're at like thirty thousand mm-hmm. listeners worldwide from three years ago at like three thousand so you know you build what you can build and you bring bring a community nice. in and you see what yeah. you can get you know it's really nice talking to somebody who is further along on the journey than than you as an artist because it's very for me anyway it's been a very chaotic um scary um fulfilling uh, so many things that it's felt in my journey and sometimes well you are kind of walking blind and just walking in faith and you know and I trust as long as it's coming from my heart it's going to resonate with people um but it's nice to hear somebody who is further along the journey um and again, like I, making I would say, me yeah, feel keep like on doing what you're doing. Okay. I, I believe I, every creative person yeah. needs to like don't feel just because you have a bad day, don't stop. You know, because you know, I, it, as a musician, everybody I I started with when I was 17 gave up the dream of being a musician, and you know, maybe one guy that still mm-hmm. was doing it from the time I was a teenager, and I actually didn't start getting big until I got in my late 40s. So sometimes your time mm. doesn't come right away. It, it, it just, it, your perseverance and what you believe in gets you where you want to be. And there's a lot of African-American artists, like blues guys, a lot of them started when they're in their 40s. They got big when they were in their 40s, like mm. Led Billy and Robert Johnson and some of the really big blues guys. They were like in their 40s and 50s when they got big. So it's not unheard of um it's not just a young person's game Mm -hmm. you can do if you believe in what you're doing just keep on doing it this has been very helpful i just i feel like i can already sense already that 
I'm going to probably start improving exponentially after having this conversation with you because now it's like the I you know especially with the Jack thing that literally just I've kind of unleashed within the last week where I've kind of owned it for myself and people will start to sense it now as I share more work but Mm -hmm. personally in my journey I really owned it and within the last week and kind of said you know I don't care if if I'm going insane here like I know there's this side of myself and I'm going to embrace it and now I don't know I'm going now I know after talking to you that I'm not going crazy and so now I can take my next step in full confidence that um, I'm on to something that I'm, well, I'm glad into I helped you with that. that I try to, you know, when I sense somebody can can understand it, I kind of feel it. <laughs> so I kind of felt from our conversation mm-hmm. that you would understand it maybe even more than most people I've talked to. Um, so that's really cool. It help, helps me too because in some places, like in some conversations, you can, you kind of get the feel. Well, I'm not going to go there with this person because they're not really ready. Um, <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> It's cool. It's cool. It's been an awesome experience. Uh, we're kind of near the end of what we can do because it goes out to maybe 75 minutes. But um, we're very, very happy to have you on mm-hmm. the show. And uh, we're going to push this out. Uh, like uh, like we said on Instagram, we have an integration with Spotify. So the Spotify version of this podcast will show up as a highlight and a story that people can click right to. Uh, within the next hour, we'll get that up. And it's mm-hmm. also on Apple and Google and Radio Public. Like, there's 11 pla- platforms that automatically get cascaded once this gets published. Um, so that's how we get out to this big audience. But um, but thankful that you came on the show. And we'd, we'd definitely like to have other people. We interview our artists, like, multiple times. So if you've got something you want to talk about mm-hmm. in the future, you got a big project or something, like just give us a, a shout-out and we we have people come on multiple times. Yeah, I would love for you to check back in and see where I am along my journey. Um, this has been a beautiful conversation. I'm very, very grateful um, that we've made this right. cosmic link. <laughs> I, I enjoyed um, it myself. I, this is why I do this. I found out as a musician that this is like the best way for me to connect to other like-minded creative people. Uh, during the lockdown and yeah I was doing this for the past two years but I've doubled down on it um, during lockdown and uh, yeah it's been really good for me as well so I I appreciate it all right we'll we'll send you the links as soon as they're available and uh, yeah thank you for being on the show and uh, we we, enjoyed our conversation and hope to talk to you again in 2021 Uh... this is Pam Electric Ghost and I think this is a informative message for those of us who are financially challenged and need help making decisions. So all potential home buyers uh, looking for refinance oper- options need a tool to aid them with navigating finance, the financial wilderness of the mortgage industry. Now, Mortgage Calculator Info gives you a no-pressure no sales pressure opportunity to discover mortgage related finance topics from the comfort of your laptop or your smartphone. So if you go out to HTTPS um, colon forward slash forward slash www.mortgagecalculators.info and we'll, we'll actually have that link available. Um, again, I'll say it HTTPS 
colon forward slash forward slash www.mortgagecalculators.info. There are multiple calculators. Uh, there's a monthly payment calculator, minimum income requirement calculator, home loan limit, and a DTI to figure out your front end and back end debt to income ratios. That's more complicated once you get into this. Now, even though I own a home, um, if I'm looking into a tool that I use personally, it's the home loan limit calculator that allows me to see what it would take to trade up to a better home. So I think you should check out, you know, www.mortgagecalculators.info um, because magazines like Forbes and business channels like CNBC recommend that you take control of your finances. And the first step to get a better understanding of your mortgage knowledge with tools um, is, is going to a free site like this uh, to be able to look at it on your own time. And then from there, if you want to go deeper into financial analysis, you could always get an investment advisor, but it's good to kind of get yourself versed on tools like this that don't cost any money, allow you to check out, you know, you know without any pressure uh, and do some analysis on your own. So you kind of, you're doing your homework before you go and make another decision. So it's the first step in that kind of path. So we encourage all of our PEG fans, uh, you know, musicians and artists and creators, we need to be smart about what we do for financing because we need to fund our projects. So being smart about your your um, your your financial uh, portfolio is a good idea, even though it might not be something that you're primarily interested in. And I think all of our fans could appreciate that as well. So thank you for listening to this little uh, informative statement and enjoy the rest of the program.